Hello, and welcome to episode 261 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Caleb Plumquist, creator of Vampire Detective in Space, now on Kickstarter for three more days and closing out on February 26, 2022. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Caleb, thanks so much for, for joining us. Let's do as we normally do on these interviews. Let's start off with a, a quick bio, um, elevator pitch for this book, and then we'll get into the, the meat of the interview. Okay, uh, my name is Caleb Palmquist. I am from Washington State, and I've been writing comics for about seven years now. Um, I wrote a book called Unicorn Vampire Hunter. Uh, I created an anthology called Modern Mythology. Um, and now I've got a book called uh, Vampire Detective in Space that's on Kickstarter, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's about a vampire who is also a detective and he's in space um, and he's solving a murder mystery. I think this is one of the unique times where the title and the elevator pitch are the, the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, awesome. So I'll, I'll kick things over for uh, to Noah for maybe like the, the first question of the interview. Yeah. Well, while I was reading the book, I was uh, I was picking up on a lot of the influences that were there, but I just sort of wanted to know what was where, where did the germ of the idea for this book come from? Yeah. OK, so um, something that I have talked a little bit about publicly is and, and I've talked about on the on the Kickstarter page is that this book is actually what I call an upcycled idea. Um, so I had written a book, my first comic book ever was called A Small Favor, which was about a thousand year old space explorer who was trying to figure out why he was immortal. And it was my first book. And of course, like a genius, I decided that it was 10 volumes. Um, <laughs> And that uh, the first volume was just going to scratch a surface. And of course, what I didn't realize, what I didn't think through was that um, that wasn't necessarily going to garner that much of an audience. And I also didn't really know what I was doing in terms of writing comics. And so while there are things in that book that I like, it, I was never going to take it to its conclusion. It just wasn't going to be financially feasible and there wasn't really an audience for it. So I had let that sort of... Uh, linger i had i had not done anything with it for a few years and i went on and did some other stuff that turned out to be a lot more successful like unicorn vampire hunter and modern mythology that had a lot more success that the people liked and and were willing to support and i learned a lot about writing and creating comics and i thought there are these characters in this first book that i wrote that i really like and i don't want to let go of so i took them and i put them in a new setting and uh and changed some elements of it and um, that's really where it comes from. And the, so the core of the story is about these two characters, James, who is a vampire who's been alive for a long time, and he believes he's the last vampire in the galaxy. And then Liz, who is his sort of floating head AI assistant. Um, and it's really about the relationship between those two characters and then as the story goes, it it, spy, it it webs out into more characters that are involved, but uh, but ultimately there's there's a relationship at the core there. Nice. So um, 
were any of the the members of this art team the the same for when it was uh the 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 other idea no so okay. i the, the only exception is that um jonathan fisher who is a frequent collaborator of mine um who i met while creating the first modern mythology book um did a variant cover for this book and he did some variants for the original book and he does um all of my sort of stickers and it does uh, a lot of variant covers for me but um so he is connected to both books but as far as the main artist that's um Dave Swartz, who is a really talented artist, who I had never worked with before, before this. And then, of course, the letterer on the book is Dave Lentz, who has lettered everything for me going back to just after I stopped working on A Small Favor. So he didn't really work on that book. So it's pretty much a whole new creative team. Cool. And the the artist, Dave, um, how did how did you go about that? Because you said this is the first time you guys will work together. Um how did how did you find them was this an internet search or was this like seeing dave's work and and you know somebody else's book how did how did you discover him so for dave i had actually seen his work before on a book called buddy which is about a exorcist dog um which is which is looked very cute but the way that i met dave was actually i put out a call on facebook i said i was looking for an artist and uh you know of course when you do that um, there's always the risk, which of, well, not really a risk, but the reality of, of being at a post like that is that you're going to get, you know, a hundred responses, um, which is awesome and flattering, but it, um, Dave was one of the people that responded and, uh, and I really liked his work and then I got to know him and he's like a super nice guy. Cause for me, when I'm choosing an artist, um, I want someone who, I can really get along with and who can, who I can, you know, kind of jam creatively with. Mm -hmm. um, and Dave is totally that guy. And, and most of the time when I found an artist for a project, it's been because I've happened to like have seen that person's work in somebody else's book or, or their own work, or uh, just having been friends with them and collaborated on something. Um, but Dave was someone that I, basically just put out a call for and he responded and then it happened to be a good match. Awesome. So um, I'm assuming uh, one of the reasons why you got, um, you know, multiple um, responses to your, to your inquiry for, for an artist is that you, you put up that this was, was, was a paying job. Right. And when one of those posts go up, you, you, your, your inbox gets, gets flooded right away. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I wrote that, that it was a paying gig. And I, and I, you know, I, I like to think that um, hopefully I've, I've started to build a fledgling reputation that, you know, I'm someone who is easy to work with and actually, you know, follows through on paying. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So uh, I, I asked a couple of questions here and I, I want to keep Noah involved. Noah, uh, do you have a question here? Yeah, I guess I would, it's sort of related to the art and the story style um, of the book. Like it's, it's sort of a classic adventure story, but I'm kind of also getting like video game vibes from it as well. W was that sort of the direction and sort of the vibe you were hoping for um, with the book? And was that sort of a direction you gave to the artist? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I don't think that video game was was anything that that I was thinking of as an influence, although I will say that 
it was always my intention that this be sort of a cyberpunk feeling book. I'm, if anyone has watched Altered Carbon or read those books, um, then you might see heavy influences from that and like mm -hmm. Blade Runner, which of course there's also right now, there's uh, what is it called? Cyberpunk 2077, which is a big video game right now, which I, I wouldn't blame anyone for drawing some parallels there um, for sure. So as far as the art style, I mean, I was specifically looking for an artist who could have, you know, sort of this, I don't want to say cartoony, but like animated style um, that felt very energetic. Yeah. 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 The reason why I asked about the video game thing is because I, when the AI character popped on, my first thought was actually Blade Runner 2049. And I was like, oh, oh that's very, that's a lot like Joy. Yeah. Forty-nine. Yeah. And, but then I was like, oh, but maybe it's a, maybe that's a video game reference too, because, you know, you, you know, like I, I've played like Halo and other games where you have like an AI character with you the whole time, that kind of thing. Um, for, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely won't claim that the, the, the AI woman, uh, you know, assistant is, is, is a new idea. I think that the particular way that I've implemented it is different than a lot of other sort of AI assistants. And I think that if you've read the issue, you know, well, you might not know, but the name of the AI and what she looks like is very significant. The, yeah. the, the design and the name is very intentional and there's a reason for it. And that will be explored more later on, but hopefully you picked up on those clues in the first issue. Yeah, I like that a lot. And that sort of also added again, that feel of like inerrant loneliness that mm -hmm. like cyberpunk has. Um, like it's sort of like very important to have that. And um, I like how then you sort of, I, I, I like how then you sort of combine that with sort of like immortality. Uh, it's sort of, it's, it's cool to think that like you've mashed two genres together, but like they go to what well, they go together so well. Oh, thank you. So, you know, you working on this as being an upcycle idea from, from the previous uh, project, there's probably a lot of these things that were sort of living in your, your mind's eye. When you went to, um, you know, design or give some ideas, um, create that AI, and you, you know, as the writer, you're sitting down, words on paper, but you're envisioning this. Did you, um, how many times did you and Dave go back and forth or did he like maybe just nail it right away? Well, so Liz, the AI is, was a character in the previous iteration of the book and she's designed differently in that book. But um, the starting point was always going to be that she was a floating head. And uh, Dave came up with a few ideas and it was actually his idea to have her have this sort of flame motif in her hair, sort of like uh, Hades from the Hercules movie. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, that was all him. And I really like that because it's thematically appropriate to the story. Um, makes a lot of sense. And, um, we went back and forth. Dave has a very cool character design method where he will essentially send me like six versions of a character and he'll, he, he, he won't say pick which one you like. He'll say, you know, open this up and circle the parts that you like, like if you like the hair on this one or the 
or the clothing on this one or the coloring on this one or whatever. And, and, uh, and then we sort of, you know, go back and do another, another set of, of character design. And I, honestly, I think that Dave did, um, I got more than my money's worth out of the character design from him. He, he really went above and beyond on, on coming up with ideas, but to answer your question, he got it real quick though. I mean, he, I think, understood the core of these characters and it did not take him long to find the design that I was really excited about. Awesome. And uh, I'm assuming he's a, a digital artist. Is, is that correct? Yeah. He, okay. well, so Dave is a digital artist, but he is a lot of things. He does a lot of digital art, but he also does paintings. He, when he's not doing comics, he also does um, like concept design for movies. And he also does like psychedelic paintings that he does while high on <laughs> and nice. those paintings have been featured in vanity fair uk so he's like kind of a big deal in that like psychedelic fine art world very cool That's very sick. cool yeah awesome so um i think i have a couple of general questions maybe about the story in general um we're here at, at issue one what's what's the uh design or the the thought process of what we can expect from from vampire detective in space like number of issues do you, do you have that sort of mapped out at this point yeah the we started this series with a vision for a four issue series and <clears throat> the way that i've described it before and this is sort of um, giving away more of my influences, but the way that I'm thinking about it is like the Dresden Files. Um, essentially, every arc of the story would be a new case. And this book is definitely designed as a, as a limited series where after four issues, the first case will be solved. Um, the, the, the plot will be wrapped up um, in a way that is designed so if there's no more issues, it will be a satisfying conclusion. And that's one of the biggest lessons I think I've learned about writing comics is that you never know how long something's going to go for. Um, and you don't want to leave it in a place where it feels incomplete. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is four issues. If there's a positive response to it, if it feels like uh, it's something that people would like to see more of. I would definitely be happy to come back in the future and do other arcs, other other cases. But as of now, it's a four-issue story that I've already plotted out and mostly written. Uh, you know, I always tinker with things right up until the last moment, like up to and including lettering. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, four issues. Nice. Noah, uh, uh, do you have a question here? Um, I guess just how how much art is done? Is it just the first issue or do you have, uh, are you guys already like breaking ground on issue two? Yeah, so Dave is cruising through issue two already. Nice. Um, and one of, one thing that I'm really trying to focus on with Kickstarter is how can I turn things around as fast as possible? So mm. issue one has been done, was basically done when we launched this Kickstarter um, and Dave has already started on issue two. I've shared the, the cover art on the Kickstarter in an update for issue two, and he is already well into issue two doing pages. Um, and so the plan is 
as soon as it, I get the feeling that the majority of backers have received their books in the mail, I'm going to be launching issue two on Kickstarter. Nice. Yeah. So, so has to get that quick turnaround of people like, you know, getting the book, being on the edge of their seat. And now you get to buy the next one. That's great. Absolutely. I mean, and that's kind of what I did. I think I'm, I'm aiming for an even faster turnaround than I did with Unicorn Vampire Hunter. But with Unicorn Vampire Hunter, I hit him with the one-two punch on issue one and then issue two really quickly. And I really believe that a lot of the success of the book was due to that. Um, just because I think that, um, you know, people responded well to that first issue. And then I immediately gave them an opportunity to see what happened next. Yeah, I've always wondered about that approach because it, it it makes it sort of one of those things that in my mind, it almost is like, I was like, oh, maybe that crowds them too much, you know, that kind of thing. Like you don't get enough space to build up the hype, but sort of there's that hype built into the Kickstarter already, you know, to get, yeah, you know, to get, get you excited for the, the next issue. And I think that, you know, it's a question of like, are people actually responding to the book itself? Obviously, I want to give them a chance to read it. And, mm -hmm. you know, but I think with hopefully that will happen with this series, with with the other series that I did, Unicorn Vampire Hunter, it was clear that people read that first issue and were very excited about it. Um, and so I and I think that we as creators, we talk a lot about how much is too much. Are we going to overwhelm the audience? And I think that the answer is if there's something that people want and they like, they'll keep coming back for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if you like if you told me that, you know, there was going to be, you know, a, like two new seasons of The Mandalorian this year, I wouldn't be like, whoa, 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 that's too much. <laughs> like, slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I see. I feel that way, too. And uh, but I guess I'm just always I think it's just still I'm still new to the whole creative sphere. So I'm always like, oh, am I going to be annoying people? You know, that kind of thing. But that yeah, you're right, because if it it's just always that we talk about on this podcast. If there's an audience, there's an audience and that's what matters for sure. And, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Oh no. Um, I just, I, I wanted to maybe touch on like uh, the work process and how it might've changed from, from one to two, like, um, you know, you and Dave have, I guess we should say you and Dave uh, and Dave, is there a colorist on this book? Nope, it's uh, Dave Swartz has done the uh, everything through colors and then Dave Lentz does the letters. Okay, so has your process with the two Daves changed from, from one to two? Like, you know, I'm just assuming from my own personal experience that like when I get, when I, you know, I get a new artist, you know, uh, you know, I might have to review a little bit more at the beginning, but then we sort of find like a, a rhythm and, uh, you know, you know, a few pages in that I don't have to, to review things or, or look things over so much Has has the process sort of evolved over time. Uh, do you see like thumbnails, pencils, inks and, and stuff from, from Dave or. Uh, oh yeah. Um, Dave is like, Dave Swartz is very methodical. So he will send me all the thumbnails um, for the whole issue. And then give me a chance to look over those. And then he'll send, he'll start sending me inks and colors um, and he is like, I, I think that to answer your question, we're having fewer things that where it's like, 
we have to discuss it because there's two ways like a, a possible change could happen, right? Either he could come to me before he's drawn the page and be like, hey, I actually think this would work better this way. Um, or, you know, you could send me a page and then I'm like, oh, actually, I'm not sure that this works. Can you, can you change this thing? And um, in issue one, I think there was a lot of, of Dave kind of like checking things with me and and there's less of that now we are more comfortable with each other and i think that happens naturally i mean i think um you know as you like uh, everyone involved like really understands the story because they're like deep in it and they're working in it and um so like for example on my other book unicorn vampire hunter um i'm working on issue four right now with uh with daryl toe and and it's like you know, we, we bear, we barely speak. It's like secondhand. I mean, there's a few questions here and there, but you know, he'll send me a set of 10 pages and I'll be like, yeah, this, you read my mind. This is exactly what I wanted. And, um, and Dave Swartz is a lot like that. He is, but he, he checks in with me a lot. He's very, very communicative. Um, and, um, and he's also like, very detail oriented. He wants everything to be exactly right. Um, to the point where, you know, we'll come back for issue one. He came back after it was lettered and been like, Oh, this page and this page, I think if I added this detail it'd work better. Do you think Dave would be all right if I sent him new files and he could replace them? And I was like, I don't care what Dave Lent says, go ahead and do it. (laughs) Do, Do you find it difficult to, um, you know, the, these these two stories are sort of um, living in your head um, as they're in different states of production. Do you find it difficult to sort of do a mental shift if uh, from the the one story, if you're if you're trading notes with the artist, and and then say like some time passes, and then you know Dave checks in with you on uh, Vampire in Space? Did, is it just difficult for you to mentally like? shift out of like one story mode into the other or do you just sort of float in between those two stories that you're working on right now I mean I think it's like you said I'm living in the stories all the time this I think about the characters and the stories just all the time I mean uh and so to a certain degree yes they are different types of stories um but you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm so in that storytelling mode and thinking about these stories all the time. And of course, you know, I've got, there's, there's other projects too, that I haven't announced that I, that I'm writing and thinking about. And so I don't know. That's, I mean, it's an interesting question. I don't think so. I don't think I, I, I have too much difficulty shifting gears um, between the stories. Okay. Um, I have one more question and then I'm going to check in with Noah. You had mentioned earlier that you really like to, to tinker with things throughout the process. Um, and you said that even um, goes up to the lettering of the book. When you have scripted something out um, and then you see, you know, you describe a, screen, a scene, you know, the characters' motivations, what they're saying to each other, but then you see it presented in the magic of comics where it's, images and words is that a lot of the times where you you want to make those possible lettering changes like when you when you see it in that state as opposed to it being a you know a google doc or word document that you're working off of oh yeah for sure i mean i think that uh as you guys know sometimes things 
are present different and appear different and feel different when they're actually on the comic book page rather than just in a script. Um, and so that part is also very collaborative though. Dave Lentz is fantastic about, he's got a great sense of, of dialogue and lettering what works and what's unnecessary and what's not. And he will, at this point, he just makes edits to my dialogue without even asking me and then just sends me the pages. And, um, and 90% of the time, I'm like, you were right, that that way is better. Um, and, uh, but you know, sometimes either he has made a change or he's done it exactly as I asked. Then I'm like, now nah, this actually doesn't work, and I want to move this bubble to this panel, or or change this line, or whatever. And um, and sometimes it's like late in the process, and I'm like writing the next issue, and I'm like, oh, actually, I need to like make this change to dialogue so that this thing that happens in the next issue makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I don't know. It's like it's a good thing that eventually I have to publish them, and then they're kind of locked in. Yeah, because uh, otherwise I would still be making tinkering to like issue one of Unicorn, you know. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Actually, many, sorry, I, I have one more, one more question, if that's OK. Uh, yeah, um, actually, no, go ahead. And I'll, I'll hold on to mine. OK, yeah, I just had a question about the writing still. Like how many how many drafts of a, a script do you write before you send it off to an artist? Oh, boy, that's a good question. OK, so I have the way that I write a script at first is that I just write just like really sloppy paragraphs for each scene. So like I'll write just like an outline of each scene, you know, I'm like, okay, in this scene, James shows up at the crime scene and sees the body and realizes that a vampire killed this guy. Okay. Um, And, and then I will refine that. And what I'll usually do is I will, let that sit for a few days. Um, and then I'll write a draft and I will send it. I have about three people that I call my beta readers, but are really just like hypercritical friends of mine. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I send it to those people because I know they'll tear it apart and ask questions and be like, well, if this happened, this doesn't make sense. Or like, you know, this, this motivation doesn't make sense. Why would this person do this? And, and things like that, where it's like high level, like this, needs work kind of stuff. And then I will usually like write down notes about what they said. I'll let that sit. I'll come back and I'll write a whole nother draft. I'll send it to more people. And then at that point, about third draft, I usually send it to the artist and with people like Dave and Daryl, who draws the unicorn book, they are really excellent about engaging with the story and I'll usually get you know like a page of notes back from the artist where it's like this is the parts I like this is what I didn't this is what I think would work here's an here's a whole new idea that I have for something and um and then that gives me an opportunity to write a a, usually what's the final draft after the artist gives me feedback so like this is not a hard and fast rule, but I say I usually write about three drafts before it goes to the artist and then one more draft after that. Okay. That's, that's really cool to know. So I was wondering about that when you were like, you're fixing things in post. I'm like, man, what is this pre 
<laughs> like like you know setting it to the artist look like oh uh, yeah it's yeah. uh yeah i like i like to get a lot of feedback because mm-hmm. you know it's like when you're standing in something you don't you don't really necessarily see the plot holes or the problems um with it because you want something to work so bad i'm like oh man this scene that i've had in my head that's like crystal clear in my head and is beautiful and i want this scene to work and so i will do mental gymnastics to make the story work to get to that scene um and that's not always good for the health of the story Hmm. um so having other people look at it and be like yeah this doesn't work is you know that's where um that's where I, you know, I come up with creative solutions to problems. And, and then, of course, when I share with the artist is like the, the best and most critical time when I'm doing script revisions, because the artist is a, is a co-storyteller. I mean, I don't I've worked with artists who are just going to draw exactly what's on the page and do nothing else and not ask any questions. And that's fine because, you know, I'm paying them to do work. But the artists that I really love to work with are the ones that are going to be collaborators, um, I mean, there are scenes in Vampire Detective in Space and there are scenes and plots of whole issues that of Unicorn Vampire Hunter that are that spun out of ideas the artist had. Right. Uh, And that's where I see, you know, like that that collaborative aspect requires excessive revision uh, because my first drafts are never they never they always have plot holes that don't make sense. Yeah, it's, it, question. yeah, it does. Well, and, and it's it's also just sort of I'm I'm sure, I mean, it helps me to hear as someone who has struggled with with writing. I'm, I'm hoping it helps everybody else know too that it's just it's just good to get it out there, you know, as soon as you can, even before it's drawn, just to get eyes on it and get feedback. That's 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 really cool. Yeah, for sure. So I have one more question about uh, this book, um, and then maybe we'll move on to some of the other things. Um, but I also check in with Noah uh, before we move on. Uh, one thing that struck me when I when I read this, and you know, we were lucky enough to to get a preview copy to read through, was uh, it was very very fast paced. Is that your is that your writing style, or was that sort of a thinking that like these people are, are you know? so many far more years in the future further than we are. And like, we live in a fast paced sort of environment now with, you know, smartphones and our computer in our, in our pockets, you know, access to almost every bit of information. You know, if you, if you have the internet, was that some of your, your thinking that these people would be sort of like, uh, just sort of like, uh, you know, everything is so available to them, you know, information, you know, space travel like that's why they sort of everything just sort of goes so fast and they, they talk to each other so quickly and they just sort of move on is, was was that some of your thinking or is that just sort of your writing style uh that might just be sort of my writing style um i don't know i'm i think that Sort of my philosophy when it comes to writing dialogue and, and interactions is that I don't want to include superfluous information, but I also mm-hmm. want characters to be able to sit in moments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like to have walls of text. I don't want to have pages full of, of dialogue um, that is 
in my opinion, often un unnecessary. And I don't want a comic book that's just full of talking heads. Um, and so I like to get to the point fast and get the information out there. Um, and to me, that also gives me the breathing room to let characters sit in moments that feel like they need a moment. All my favorite, I mean, maybe this is lazy of me, but one of my favorite techniques as a writer when I'm writing comics is just have like panels where the characters say nothing, you know, or say very few things and give each other significant looks. Um, because I, to me, that gives it a moment for a beat, an emotional beat. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think it's just my writing style. I don't think I really necessarily thought about how fast they were digesting information in terms of their setting. No, I, I can appreciate it because uh, I feel like I probably have a very similar writing style and I think Noah could probably attest to this. It's sort of like, um, this is, you know, this is the scene, this is the person, this is what they want and this is what they're going to say to each other. And it might just be like one balloon um, and then and then we move on. I, you know, I won't have that sort of, Brian Michael Bendis, you know, Avengers panel where they're sitting, you know, having breakfast and there's, you know, 36 word balloons just sort of floating over their head. So I, I feel like I have a similar writing style to you. So I can appreciate that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so Noah, before we move on uh, beyond um, this book that's on Kickstarter right now, uh, Vampire Detective in Space, um, do you have any questions on, on this book or final thoughts on this book? No, no, I'm, I'm excited to read, learn more about his, uh, some other books. Cool. So let's let's talk about the anthology before we move on to, to to the other book. So there are two volumes of modern mythology. Is that correct? That's right. Awesome. And uh, you know, Noah and I were lucky enough to be in the the second volume. What is what is your? I mean, I probably can guess this, but uh, what is your fascination with like sort of retelling of, you know, myths and, you know, you also incorporate myths from, um, you know, all over the world. It's not, not, not just sort of our classic like Greek myths. What's, what's, is, is it just sort of a, a love of, of story and how they spread around the world? Uh, what's the thought there? I mean, I love mythology in general and world mythology. There is a, uh, a book, that I read in a mythology class in college called A Short History of Myth by Karen Armstrong. And it's now when I think about it, this seems kind of silly, but that book like really blew my mind at the time um, because it really like gave this by the numbers um, like story of religion and mythology and belief like from the dawn of civilization to now and it presented in a way that I hadn't really thought of before um, and it got me thinking a lot about the things that we believe and the stories that we tell and um, so I've I mean I've always liked mythology but ever since then I've definitely been very into the idea of of myths and stories and 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 what they mean to us as a people and so I think I always, I wanted to do something with mythology and I had seen, when did I launch or start working on the first modern mythology? I think it was maybe in 2018. And 
I wanted to do a mythology book and I had seen a lot of people doing anthologies on Kickstarter and it seemed exciting. Uh, so I just started asking people if they wanted to contribute and people got excited about it. And then we did the Kickstarter and did really well. Um, and of course it was a ton of work. Um, I'm, you guys have, have done enough work with anthologies to know, I'm sure that it's just an enormous amount of work. Um, and, um, but it was a lot of fun. So, you know, and I got to tell stories, uh, and so I decided to do a second one and, uh, and then obviously you guys got involved. Um, but you know, I don't know, myths are just really exciting to me. Um, and the idea of reinterpreting them is, is exciting. And it's a tradition. I mean, that's like so many stories that we have today are reinterpreted myths and, and, uh, you know, really old stories. What's your approach to reinterpreting myths? Cause uh, I was thinking about this the other day because my niece was watching treasure planet that like the Disney film. Yeah. And I was thinking about it, how it's just, it's just basically a treasure Island and set in space. Right. And I was like, I was like, it doesn't really do anything with maybe like the concept of being set in space other than it's just like, this is an aesthetic that we're going for. And like, we really wanted to show this and there's nothing wrong with that. So I'm just curious, like how, how do you approach like retelling something? Oh, uh, that's a good question. So obviously in modern mythology, most of the work is not mine. Um, but in the second volume that you guys participated in, I had, um, a few different stories that I helped out on either as a writer or as an artist. And, um, to me, when I was retelling myths, I'm thinking about what was the core message of that story. Um, and so for example, in modern mythology, Folklore Retold, which is the second volume, I wrote a story uh, with my girlfriend, Lorelai, and it, the story is called Lorelai, and it's about this, uh, the original myth is about a, a woman who um, was waiting for her uh, lover, and he never came back, and he was a sailor, so she like threw herself off the cliffs of these cliffs of Lorelai, and then her, she's like, a ghost or a spirit sitting on the, on the rocks, like combing her hair and luring sailors, like a, like a siren toward the rocks to their death. Um, and so like that story is ultimately about a woman who was like wronged by a man and is like sort of now taking her revenge on other men who are in the same profession as her, as her lover. And so I wrote, we wrote a story that was about a woman who like, basically like tricks married men into sending her salacious texts on dating apps. And then she exposes them to their wives. Um, and uh, so, I mean, there's nothing like super deep there, but it was like, here's the, the, it's a story about lost love and revenge. And, and so how can we take that um, and, and, and reinterpret it in a creative way? Um, but you know, this is like such a good question because there are so many different ways to reinterpret a myth or a story. Um, and like you said, Treasure Treasure Planet is just like the same story, but 
set in a different aesthetic really um and so you know and and in modern mythology all the different creators took different approaches some of them are just like here's the same story but set in a different setting or here's the same story except it's got a twist the ending is different uh or you know there's there were like so many different approaches to that which i thought was really cool um, I don't know if that I ramble a lot. I don't know if that no, was. that was really cool. Yeah, really informative. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I like the idea of just boiling something down to its core themes. Yeah, it, yeah, it makes so much sense. And then that will be my uh, if I ever get to the chance to submit again, I'll be thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> it's it, that's funny. This isn't. Uh, uh, you didn't ask me this question, but people ask me all the time when I'm going to do the third volume of modern mythology. And uh, the question, is, the answer to that question is, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's so much, it's so much. Um, and I feel like, you know, I really have to step up the game every time. The second volume to me is so much better than the first volume, uh, you know, obviously because you guys were involved. Of course. <laughs> uh, that's what I assumed. Yeah. Um, but so to me, it's like, if I did a third volume, I would need to step it up even more. And, you know, just it's when I have the bandwidth at some point, maybe, you know, I'm not promising anything, but, you know, I did working with, um, you know, that many different creators is like such a gratifying experience. So maybe someday. So, um, you kind of answered so the question I was going to ask, I was going to ask, you know, if there was going to be the, the next anthology on your plate, if it was going to be a volume three or if there was a different area you might want to explore in an anthology setting. But uh, you kind of answered that a little bit with, with the last question. I mean, I have other ideas for sort of anthology style books where because one of the things I got to do with both modern mythologies is work with other writers, which is something that I don't often get to do. I mean, obviously I talk to other writers all the time, mm -hmm. um, but in, in terms of like actually working with other writers on creative projects is something I don't get to do very often. And so I have other ideas um, for, for projects like that, but you know, they're all very half formed. And I think the concept of doing a whole full fledged anthology book again is so daunting to me that, um, you know, it's, it's something that I'm not necessarily willing to, to commit to doing just yet. But Dave Lentz taunts me all the time because when I was finishing the second book and it was like taking everything out of me and I was like, oh man, I, I kept telling Dave, I was like, never let me do another modern mythology or another anthology. If I'm going to do this again, tell me not to do it. And, uh, and so he always just tells me, you know, that he's just waiting for me to tell him that I'm going to do another one. And he doesn't <laughs> believe me that I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So let's, uh, let's, let's turn our attention to unicorn, unicorn vampire hunter. Did I say that right? Or is it uh, the other way around? It That's is unicorn right. vampire hunter. Okay. And so that book you've done, two, is it two issues on Kickstarter? Three. Three. And mm -hmm. so um, it, we talked about this a little bit uh, pre-show, but this is going to be a book that in the future will be coming out from, from Scout. Uh, yep. 
are you going to take the fourth book uh, to Kickstarter um, to sort oh, of yeah. complete complete the series on Kickstarter, and then and then it will be um, coming out from Scout. So that's the plan there. Yeah. So it's actually the the first arc is a five issue story, and this summer actually I'm doing a Kickstarter that will be both issue four and five combined. Okay. Um, and Daryl Toe, who draws that book, is already halfway through something like that of issue two, uh, four. He's drawing issue four right now. And the plan is to um, be at some point in the process of drawing issue five when we launch the Kickstarter so that um, we can launch a Kickstarter. And then before the end of the year, all the backers would get um, both issue four and five. And then that way we'll have the first arc done and um, Scout can solicit it and hopefully that'll be coming out, you know, in comic book stores sometime probably in 2023. Cool. Yeah. So um, that's, that's gotta be really exciting for you in, in a number of, you know, a number of ways There's another Kickstarter uh, coming up in the future so, so there's that, there's, you know, the, the excitement of, of seeing pages, seeing the story develop some more, but this one is going to have a life beyond, beyond Kickstarter. I know that like, um, you know, we're looking at some time in modern mythology has been on, you know, shelves at, at comic book stores, but are you really looking forward to the, to the day that you can walk into, to an LCS and, and see the, the book with like the scout uh, label on it, sitting up on, on the shelf? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously the difference between being self-published and and having, you know, a publishing label like Scout um, putting your book out is, is huge. And, um, you know, I mean, the first time that I walk into a store and see my book on the shelf at a store that I didn't specifically sell those books to, like, you know, by hand because there's a couple stores in my hometown that are carrying some of my books because you know they'll they know me and you know they'll buy the my self-published copies off of me but but certainly um when i see it and scout version on the shelf it's going to be very exciting awesome so uh i want to check in with noah here um and then i I think i have uh, a couple of my my final questions lined up uh, but i want to let's see if noah has any questions here uh no go ahead shoot with your questions okay so let's um so i guess my first question is is you know at the time of this recording we have about three more days uh on uh vampire detective in space um, you, you funded, thankfully, um, we have a couple more days here. Um, are, are, do you have any like stretch goals that you're, that you're looking to, to announce or that have been announced on the Kickstarter? Uh, yeah, I announced a stretch goal early on, um, that is a very similar stretch goal to one that I've done for my three previous Kickstarters, which is, uh, a set of prints by guest artists and, that's been a pretty popular stretch goal in the past. I, I am, you know, anything's possible at this point. I don't think we're going to hit that stretch goal. You know, of course, um, if, if it does, I'm, I, that'll be thrilling, but, uh, that's a $9,000 stretch goal, um, to include those prints. And then I had another stretch goal at, uh, at $12,000 to have some, um, extra pages added to the book. There was like behind the scenes concept art stuff. Um, 
And it doesn't look like we're going to hit those, but uh, um, I have, yeah, those are, those are ready to go if we do. Okay. Well, fingers crossed. Um, You know, Kickstarter is a, is a crazy thing that there's a lot of momentum at the beginning. You have your slow period in the middle and then there's a, there's a rush at the end. So, you know, anything's possible. Let's uh, let's uh, anybody listening, let's uh, let's join that late, uh, late rush and, and bump these numbers up a little bit. Yeah. So I guess my final question, and this is a little bit of a joke question, um, when you are creating a story, do you just basically have like uh, some dice and one is vampire and two is like two other adjectives and you just throw them down and it's like uh, vampire tax attorney um, with a time machine? Like, is, is that how you do your story ideas? Uh, so no, I, it's, uh, I mean, I wish, I, I think it's, it is funny. I was worried when I, when I decided to do this book that everyone was just going to say that, you know, I'm the vampire guy and to, I guess, to a certain degree, I sort of am at this point, but, um, the titles of my books are, is like a lesson that I learned because the first book I ever did was called a small favor. And if you, could possibly figure out what the heck that was supposed to be about based on the title alone, you know, then you're smarter than I am because that title was based on like a very specific line that happens halfway through the first volume of, of that book. And um, so after that, I was like, the books that I do, the title, I want the title to sell the book. I want the Mm -hmm. title to tell you everything you need to know. So unicorn vampire hunter. Now, when that title people always ask me like well what if it was the unicorn who was a vampire and he's being hunted um and and i i'm like well uh, you know that's a that's a whole different book but uh but i think you know for the most part um once people get the idea it, it like it makes a lot of sense sells itself and i was hoping to go f- like sort of with the same thing with this book vampire detective in space kind of tells you what it's about and the vampire thing this book originally wasn't about a vampire, but the vampire thing just made sense. Um, and, and a lot of uh, fun ideas spun out of the idea of it being a vampire. Um, and um, Unicorn Vampire Hunter started out about, um, it was originally called Jezebel and the Unicorn um, because it's about like one of the main characters is a young woman named Jezebel. Um, and um you know, the vampires part of it was in the original draft, which I wrote a long time ago, it was actually a very small part of it. And it just sort of grew over time. And, and I realized it was going to be a selling point. Um, so um, to answer your question, no, I don't roll dice to decide my titles, but I should. And that's a great idea. So that, you know, leads me to my next point, which is that my next book coming out is, you know, uh, what, what did you say? Troll tax attorney. And that was a vampire tax attorney with a uh, time machine. Yeah, there you go. That's it. That's my next book. So <laughs> that'll be coming out next year. <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, let's, uh, let's finish up here with, uh, you know, you did an elevator pitch, but let's, uh, let's talk about this book. There's a couple more days on Kickstarter to, to check it out. And after you do that, let people know where they can follow you online and stay up to date with this and, and other projects that you'll be doing. Yep. So um, 
the book is called Vampire Detective in Space. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, about a vampire who is living on a space station and he's a detective and he's solving a murder case. Um, it's got a couple days left on Kickstarter, so you can still back it there by going to vampiredetectiveinspace.com. Um, you can find me, Caleb Palmquist, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can also go to calebpalmquist.com or unicorn vampire, sorry, yeah, unicornvampirehunter.com. I'm sitting on a lot of URLs and probably paying too much for them. <laughs> uh, any of those website addresses will go to my website. Um, and you can learn more on my website about all the different stuff that I've done. Uh, or like I said, follow me on Facebook or Instagram. I do have a Twitter, but if you message me or tag me in something on Twitter, I will see it like five months later. Um, because I never checked Twitter. Awesome. So what we'll do is we're going to put a link, um, definitely a link to the Kickstarter websites, um, Facebook and IG in the show notes, make it as easy as possible. Anybody listening right now, just open up that pod player, scroll down um, to the bottom, find that Kickstarter link and click that. So all that stuff is going to be in the show notes, but uh, Caleb, it's been a lot of fun. Um, Noah and I are, are backers of this book and we encourage anybody listening in these last couple of days to to follow our example and and back the book i have i have one more uh plug before you guys let me go which is that everyone should also back moss vale on you're doing our job for us thank Thank you you, yeah we appreciate it so uh like i said uh all of caleb's stuff is going to be in the show notes and as that transition went, there will be a Kickstarter link for Mossvale in the show notes. Um, our book is going to be live for about eight, nine more days at the time of the recording, going to March 3rd, 2022. Um, links galore in the, the show notes. But um, if you want to follow the podcast, Twitter is at ConstructedComPod, Instagram is Constructed Comics Pod, and Facebook is Constructed Comics. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Please be safe, be nice, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.